Father God, your word is precious. Your word is life. We're not here for a man's opinion or a human interpretation. We're here to hear your word as you speak. So give me the talent, the giftedness to get out of the way. Give me the ability to fade so that your people find themselves directly encountering you, hearing your voice, knowing your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I am really enjoying the podcasts and uh, developing and, you know, uh, putting this podcast out. I love talking about, uh, about those topics, going a little further down, uh, you know, deeper into the topics. If you've been listening to the podcast, it's a deeper look in the, to the Sunday morning sermon, which is really great. And we went into fasting, especially a little spillover from last week. And as you go back to last week's, just for a quick review for those of you who were with us, we looked at two things that Jesus was telling his disciples. One was prayer and one was fasting. And then those guys tried to take, uh, exor- exorcise the demons out of one particular uh, child and they were not able to. And they come into the house and they asked Jesus privately, said, Lord, we were not able to exorcise the demons. What on earth happened over there? It was working fine. The name was working. The power was working. Suddenly it didn't work. What happened there? And Jesus said, this kind, this kind cannot be removed except by prayer and fasting. Do we know and understand what's happening there behind the scenes? Not quite. We're 2,000 years removed. We don't know the context and we don't know the depth and power of the Son of God and how he was dealing with the demonic world at that time. However, we do take away these two things, which is prayer and fasting. Real quick, prayer, he says, you slip back. You've slipped back into doing your ministry in your own strength. You're not praying anymore. You're not bathing your life in prayer anymore. You're not going into war with aerial cover. I repeat, you're not going into war with aerial cover. Whenever you send your ground troops, you must send aerial cover. Otherwise, you're exposing your ground troops to catastrophe. So you cannot do that. When you go into ministry, when you're dealing with people head on, demons as well as people, as well as situations, that's you on the ground. But aerial cover is more important. Aerial cover goes first and then you go in. So you've slipped back to doing the ground incursion on your own without the aerial cover. And you need to understand that. Uh, You need to level up your your prayer game, you need to get back into bathing your life ministry and plans in prayer. Prayer and fasting. And then he said about fasting. Fasting does two things. Number one, fasting breaks your dependence on the flesh. It doesn't make you, uh, you can still be a foodie without, without being a glutton. You know, you can still enjoy flavors without enjoying, uh, uh, you know, abundance. And It breaks that dependence on food, where you turn to food for everything, you turn to food for your livelihood, to understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. It sets you free to live in the power of the Spirit. One more thing fasting does is when you fast, and I I explained this in the podcast so you can hear that there, but when you fast, uh, it empties your gut and it empties you of cravings, of cravings, and lightens your mind to focus on prayer. So when you have fasted, physically, when you are done with cravings, that takes you to the next level of mental cravings and then emotional cravings. And you are, if you win on the physical level, your next level of victory is on the emotional and mental. Uh, and then that's how fasting steamrolls you into something powerful. Let's move on. 
So what follows in the story after this is a huge lesson to the disciples. And remember that as we are studying the gospel of Mark, we're not trying to cover everything. We're going around with an iPhone, following Jesus and watching how he interacts with disciples, how he interacts with scribes and Pharisees, how he interacts with demons, how he interacts with crowds, cynics and stars uh, alike, how, how he interacts with them and what's his... Uh, his give and take with them. So it's a huge lesson to the disciples. And let's title today's sermon, Greatness in God's Economy. Greatness in God's Economy. So Jesus' uh, words are still ringing in our ears about the imminent suffering. Jesus says, he's coming on the mountain, transfiguration has happened, he's dealt with this demonic issue, and then he says, I must suffer first. I must die first. I must, the Son of Man must suffer first. This must die, must rise, must die, must rise, the cross before the crown. That was Jesus' uh, anthem. That's what he kept on saying. But who was not getting it? The disciples. They were not getting it. They were into everything else. They were arguing about, you know, power. They were arguing about position. They were arguing about the, the effectiveness and the glory of the ministry. They were getting into it. They were becoming stars in their own right. And Jesus had to cut them down to size a little bit. Jesus had to bring them back to what discipleship is really all about. So we see two short passages of scripture here in this next passage, starting in verse 33 of chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 verse 33 onwards, okay? The first one is a tussle for position. The second one is a hustle for power. The first one is a tussle for position. The second one is a hustle for power. They ask the question, who is the greatest? So, funny story, but here's what happened. Jesus is heading back to his hometown. His hometown is Capernaum. That's his hometown, his home address, his residential permanent Adharwala address. Gotcha? Okay. So, he's heading back there, you know, family you know, masala dosa, whatever the deal is. And then he's just, he's chilling. So it looks like they've come to the end of like a ministry chapter and they're kind of just chilling. So now as he gets back home, everyone's chilled out now. They've kind of let their hair down and they're having just a family conversation. Jesus turned to the guys and he says, on the way, what were you discussing about? What were you guys talking about? Not like he didn't know. He knew. But he wanted to further that discussion. So these guys had been bickering on the way as to who among them is the greatest. Bhaiwa. I mean, what a conversation to have after the transfiguration. After the demonic exorcism. After the scribes dealing with that. After that father coming to faith in Christ. Yeah, after all that, they are discussing. Sounds like a church committee. They're discussing who is going to hold which office. Who's over outside world, whatever Jesus is doing, wonderful. But over here, who's going to, you know, and then that's what's going on over here. So Jesus wanted to pick up that and turn it into a teaching opportunity. What were you discussing on the way? Here's a teaching moment. Okay. But they kept silent because they were embarrassed, because it was a stupid topic, and also Jesus kind of already knew. Okay? So they kept silent. Verse 34. For on the way they had argued, not just discussed, not just discussed, they had argued with one another about who among them was the greatest. That means among us, who's winning it? Who's gunning it? Who's doing really well in ministry? Who's Jesus' favorite? Who's, who's, who's being an example? Who, who's got the most followers on Instagram here? 
Like who's really killing it? Who should be getting a raise here? Are you getting it? That is so us. Isn't it? That is so us. Now, verse 35, he sat down. That's a rabbinical uh, custom. When, when uh, teachers of the Jewish law, when they sat down, they were sat down to teach. When they stood up, they stood up to read the scroll or they stood up to preach. So you stand to preach, you sit down to teach. You stand to preach, you sit down to teach. So a lot of the teaching happened sitting down. It was a very chilled out, give and take, discussion type teaching. And he sat down. And he called the 12. That means who is this lesson for? Primarily the 12, okay? Because they thought they were hot shots. They thought they had made it into heaven. They thought that already one foot is in heaven. And even in heaven, they're going to be heroes. They're going to get a warm welcome. We all want to get to heaven. We want everybody to get to heaven. But I want to be a little more special, little more shinier in heaven. I want everyone else, but I want to be a little shinier in heaven. Who will sit on your left? Who will sit on your right? Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Okay. So Jesus says, sit down, sit down. Let's, let's talk here. And then he says to them, if anyone would be first, that means it's not wrong to have ambition. It's not wrong to want greatness. It's not wrong to desire greatness. There's something within us that aspires to greatness aspires to, uh, to accomplish something, aspires to, to be affirmed, to be validated for our input, for our investment, for our output. So Jesus says, if anyone would be first, if that's your plan, he must be last of all. Among all, he must be last. Then he repeats, he says, and he must be servant of all. Ouch. Ouch. So there's nothing wrong with ambition, but the situation we need to look at, what we need to learn is the method. What is the method of your ambition? How do you plan to get there? You can get to the top by stepping on everybody, by winning the game, by cheating your way up. You could, you could get to the top one way or the other, but getting to the top in the kingdom of God means getting to the bottom in this world. Putting yourself last in this world. Letting everybody else go first in this world. It is a totally different economy in God's kingdom. And God is not looking at who's first in line, but who's last in line. God is not looking at who leads from in front, but who supports from behind. God is not looking at the superiors, but the servants. God seems to look differently, think differently about greatness. So you could live with two definitions of greatness. One that sports and stars and Hollywood, Bollywood, the world and billionaires and millionaires and investors, what they call greatness, what, what the professional world calls greatness, what the system of the world calls greatness. That's one definition. And you know that and you're very good at it. And then you have Christ's definition of greatness. And the both and the two of them are incompatible. They are incompatible. They work against each other. You cannot do both. Some of us want to. We want to do great here. And by the way, don't miss this, misunderstand this with success in life. No one's saying that you have to be a dropout, failure, useless, nothing, nobody, and account for nothing, amount to nothing in order to be great in the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying. Quite the contrary, actually. But your attitude towards getting to the top, your ability 
to see how God sees greatness is what we are putting under the microscope this morning. So he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, servant of all. Okay, so first of all, there is ambition. There is place for ambition. But the question is, how are you going to get there? So what does Jesus do? He does a little bit of an object lesson. He takes a child. He's in a home. There are probably a lot of children around. Grabs one of the kids, brings them. He does two things. First, he puts the child in the center. So her focus becomes the child. And then he takes the child into his lap or he, he holds the child in his arms. Number one, he put them in the midst of them. Number two, he takes them in his arms. What did he say? Verse 37, whoever receives... Whoever receives one such child, not a child, not any child, but one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. So there's a process here. What is the process here? Receive a child. In the way that you receive a child, you are receiving me. In the way that you receive one such child, you're receiving me. And if you're receiving me, you're receiving the father. Which leaves us with the question, what on earth does receiving mean? What does it mean to receive? What does it mean to receive? Okay. So when he goes uh, further into that, you begin to understand that we, it's not about how many serve you because that's the worldly way. How do you know a star has walked into the hotel or a star or a big shot has walked into the mall or walked into uh, any meeting or any uh, event? He's served. Everybody's bowing around him. Everybody is. So depending on how many people are serving you, you are great in this world. So not not how many serve you, but how many lives you have served. How many lives, how many causes, how many people have you lifted up in your life? That's what God's economy tests, trusts, rewards. Not how well you are accepted. Not how well you are accepted, but how well you accept. How well you accept. Now, once you figure that one out, now the question is, what are we expecting? What are we accepting? Excuse me. So what we're accepting over here is one such child. One such child. Now, if you've got a Jewish understanding, children are a nobody. Children are a nobody until they're 21. They're just property. They're the same as the slaves. They're the same as everybody else. Children are nobody, not like ours. And you know this whole work, work generation where the two-year-old is bop in the house and everything goes around based on how he or she feels. The child was nobody. This child is a nothing. You getting the connection? If you accept someone who is a nobody, your focus in life is to lift up the nobodies, serve the nobodies. You are essentially making your way up to the father because the father is not going to come through majestic ways, through the government, through powerful, through the army, through, uh, through business, through media. He's not going to flash himself into the, uh, into the hall. He's not going to come with lightning. He's going to come in the most simplest ways. And if you're going to find God, if you're going to serve God, if you're going to serve God's purposes, you need to be able to accept a child. Now, what does it mean to accept a child? You go do the, the homework on that. That's what we're talking about here. Whoever receives one such child, child receives me because that's how I'm coming. Okay, by the time you get to chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For the Son of Man has not come to serve, but be served and give his life as a ransom. So he's come to serve. And how does he serve? By giving his life. Same thing for you and me. Same thing for you and me. So we have to totally deprogram and reprogram ourselves to understand how does God think? In God's economy, what is greatness? What is greatness? In God's economy, it's an inverted greatness. 
It's an inverted grace. There is service. There is service, not superiority, but service. But mind you, the moment I say service, don't think humanitarian. Don't think humanitarian. The moment I say service, we think humanitarian. It's not a need that you're serving. It's a cause that you're serving. It's the willingness to serve anybody who comes. You serve people with your life. You serve people with the gospel. But you serve anybody. You're not racist. You're not segregational. You're not choosy. You're not, you get what I'm saying? You're not selective. You serve anybody, even one such child. Later on in the last verse, he comes back to this and he says, even if you give one of them a glass of water, a cup of water, you will not be forgotten. So somebody's taking notes in heaven, brothers and sisters. Somebody in heaven is taking notes. You have 70 plus 80 years, maybe, on this earth. Your effective years are somewhere between 20 and let's say 65, 70. Your effective years where you are in a position for influence, you're in a position to serve. Those are the years in which you are being tested. For life is a test, a trust, and a temporary assignment. You are being tested for how you think. For how you think. If you say you are a follower of Christ, but you don't think like Christ, you think like the world, you are not understanding the greatness in God's economy. Now, whether or not you want greatness, you are aspiring to greatness. Because how do you want greatness in heaven? I don't even know what it looks like. I don't know what it feels like. But what I do want is to follow Christ's way, the way of Christ, the way of Christ. So I ask myself, if it's service and not humanitarian, how does God want me to serve? Well, he wants me to serve with faith. What does faith mean? Faith means I trust what God is saying is true and I jump. Faith says, if God wants me to spend my life, give my life, give away my power, give away my identity, become nothing to follow Christ, then it's a huge, huge level of trust. You're giving away opportunities. You're giving away career opportunities. You're giving away sometimes marriage alliances. You're giving away great things that could come your way because you have a way of thinking and people are going to call you a fool. People are going to call you a fool because in their mind, the next 30 years is all they have. But in your mind, you're working towards an eternity. Now, don't say you have, you have to be a failure. You can't go for great, great things. You don't want to aspire to, to success in this life. That's not what we're saying. But the way you want to go about it and the cause, the reason. So when he says faith, faith is sacrifice. Faith is sacrifice. Only if I trust God completely with his words, am I going to give my money? Because who's going to take care of me? Only if I trust God, I'm going to give my time away to serve, to do anything. Only if I trust God, I'm going to step back and let others go forward. Why would I do that? In this world, that's stupid. That's not, let others go forward and me step back? No, I, I need to be absolutely sure someone's got my back. That's the faith. That's where faith comes in. And you are looking at life from a completely different. So either you're trusting the way of the world or the way of Christ. Now, if service, I ask myself, if service is the way of the church, if service, the church is where you, dis, you, you display that mindset, the mindset of God's grat, uh, greatness, then what does our church look like? Let's go to Instagram, okay? Let's go to Instagram. Look at all the churches who put themselves up on social media, right? So if the church is supposed to be seeking, seeking the lost, yeah, all about the gospel. If the church is supposed to be looking for opportunities to serve the poor, the hungry, 
the downtrodden, the disadvantaged, the underprivileged. If that's the activity of the church, if the church is supposed to be prayer warriors on their knees, praying so that the territory is being taken from the demonic realm, more and more territory, more and more territory, push back, push back, pushing back the darkness, we sing it really well, pushing back. the. If, if that's what the church is supposed to be, where is it on Instagram? On Instagram, and I am being blight here, but, but on Instagram, basically, in the photos, in the reports that we put up, where is the work, the actual work of the church? The praying together, the studying of the word, the understanding of one another, the serving of one another. Where are the members of the church actually doing that? I'm not saying they're not doing that, but what we want to project is muffins. We are eating muffins. Or we are eating food. Every Instagram Photo, we are either laughing or we are eating food or we are enjoying something and we want to project ourselves as this fun community. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, everybody wants to do that. But here's the problem. Everybody wants to do that. So we're going the way of the world. So if you, if you were to just test and go look at what Instagram says, anywhere in that Instagram report, anywhere in, that, uh, in those photos, do you see the church doing the work of the church? Answer? No. And then we have our arguments, you know, oh no, we don't want any glory to ourselves. We don't want to, you know, expose, we don't want to exposure. We don't want people to know what we're doing good. It's not a secret, I don't think it's counting for anything. I mean, as a church, we need to be out there doing the will of God. We need to tussle for, we do not want to tussle for position. Number two, we do not want to hustle for power. John said to him, John, first time Mark is mentioning John and he moves into the next story here and he talks about a hustle for power. Here's a very, another funny story with the disciples. John said to him, that is Jesus, teacher, we, so John is speaking on behalf of the disciples. He says, we saw someone, somebody casting out demons in your name. Now, what is the last story? What happened with them? They were not able to cast out demons. So the area of their failure in ministry, somebody else is getting right. Some, some random person out of nowhere is nailing it. Just by the use of Jesus. That someone has figured out the power in Jesus' name and is using it. And over here, the disciples who are with the Jesus, with him, are not able to do it. So this is really getting to them. And jealousy in church is a horrible thing. Jealousy in ministry is a horrible, horrible thing. Now, where there's a human heart, there's also going to be jealousy. Where there's human, you know, personalities, there's going to be problems. There's a hustle for power, a hustle for power. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. What did we do? We tried to stop him. <laughs> that also they couldn't do. They only tried. We tried to stop him because he is not part of our church. He is not a member of our church. So he shouldn't be doing this. He can't be using our stuff, our ideas. He can't be using our ministry content and model and he can't be taking from us and doing something else so successfully when we ourselves are bombing at it. Are you feeling their pain? 
Oh man, these guys are like, and John's speaking up. Peter, James and John. He's the one who went up and saw the transfiguration. He comes down here. He says, I don't like this. This is, this is not working. Those fellows are keeping quiet because as it is, they're more busy about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Okay, so let me ask. We tried to stop this guy. What happened? What happened? Us. He's not following us. He doesn't say he's not following you. He says he's not following us. So Lord, whatever this power you gave us, no, it's not working. But Jesus said, but Jesus said, do not stop him. Do not stop him. Why? For no one who does, quote unquote, does a mighty work. No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. You can't speak in my name, operate in my name, see great blessing in your life and ministry in my name and then turn on me. So you're probably with me. You're probably for me. So he says, that's probably the case. So don't worry about him. For one who is not against us is for us. One who's not against us is for us. And then if you go to verse 41, 41, 41 seems to revert back to the little child on the lap. He says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, Whoever gives you a cup of water because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Somebody is taking notes. Somebody is taking notes. And every time you do something with the mindset of Christ, with the way of Christ, somebody in heaven is taking notes. Brothers and sisters, we want to have position. We want to have power. In ministry also, we want position. We want power. While Christ gave up his position, and Christ gave up his power. That is the way of the master. That is the economy of God. So our attitude must first and foremost be, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. I need to fade. I need to fade. I need to fade to white. My goal in life is to fade to white. And if you liked what you just saw, if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button, uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way, songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know. Write a comment in the section below. But let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe.